Games Lifer Podcast. Hi, I'm Rick Henderson and welcome to the second episode of my new podcast, Games Lifer. I shall once again be speaking with someone for whom gaming has played an enormous role in their life and career and finding out the five games that have meant the most to them, not just their favourite games, but the ones that have had the most impact for whatever reason. In this episode, my guest is again someone I've known for many years, a former editor of GameSpot who also consulted on the BBC drama The Game Changers about the Hauser Brothers and Rockstar Games. He's also carved a niche as an expert on TV himself, the much-revered games and tech journalist Guy Cocker. If you're interested in how to get into games journalism and what it's like when you achieve it, this is surely the podcast for you. Believe you me. I started by asking him about his earliest gaming memories. My early um, life was very much dominated by computers. My parents wouldn't let me have a games console, sadly. So... um, at the, my first experience, first thing I remember was having a Commodore 64. Um, it was released in 1982, which is the year I was born. So it would have been about probably about three or four when I first um, started using it. My, my dad was was really sweet. He made, um, I was into the Hero Turtles, as you'd say, in, in the UK, not the Ninja Turtles. He made um, he made me this like maths game that, uh, you know, Leonardo would pop up whenever you um, whenever you got the answer right. Obviously, because it was a maths game, I never really played it, but it was really sweet that he made it. <laughs> he, you know, he'd gone into program and and uh, and made this game for me. But yeah, the the, the Commodore sixty four is my, my first um, real memory, and I was sort of stuck with Commodore for the early years of my life. So moving on to Amiga, I mean, those are the games that I really remember um, playing uh, first. I think you know uh, the the likes of. Um, uh, Rainbow Islands, and, and it was it was stuff. I mean, re- I remember Rainbow Islands had gotten really high scores in the magazine of the day, which was Amiga Power, um, and you know that's that's my sort of earliest memory of getting into that game um, and, and really enjoy. I mean, it was super difficult. It was a it was a platform where you had to keep using rainbows to sort of climb uh, vertically up the screen. I don't know if you remember it, Rick. Yeah, I do yeah. very very distinctly. The sad thing is, I probably reviewed it for your <laughs> 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 Amiga or someone. <laughs> I think for me, because I remember, you know, because I said my parents wouldn't let me have a, co- a games console at that time, which is pro- probably right. But I just remember all of the best platformers, you know, were, were on the Master System at that time. So there was it was like Alex Kidd and then later, obviously, Sonic the Hedgehog. But, um, yeah, the, that was the one on PC that was, you know, because you had games like, oh, sorry, on, on Amiga. The, 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 you had games like Zool that were, that were no offense to the yeah. massive Zool fans out there, that, that were good platformers, but they weren't sort of, I would say, for me anyway, the quality of the, the ones on console. So, yeah, I always, um, I always was uh, playing them, playing the ones on, on Amiga. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the machine, I think, that, that means the most to me. And, and certainly that, that game, Rainbow Islands, really, uh, really stands out for me. Uh, speaking of Zool, I remember um, being at a games event and one of my friends who was in a cool spot costume at the time having mm-hmm. a fight with Zool in their, their <laughs> costume. I mean, genuine, uh, proper, not a, I mean, it was a play fight more than anything, but actually knocking Zool over afterwards turned out to be a really young girl inside the Jeez. costume. So it was, was it was quite unsavoury in the end. <laughs> but we'll move on. Um, so course. you went from your Amiga... Um, uh, days and was that when you started thinking about wanting to get into the games industry was there any kind of trigger to you to say do you know what i fancy doing that yeah i know i think for yeah, i remember watching that film almost famous you know where the the, the main character has um just a, a massive love of music journalism and i would say and, and this is you know not to um not to blur smoke up your whatever rick but you know you, you're part of that era as well of sort of classic games magazines from the from the 90s where i i would pick those up and and really obviously i'd be into the games and i'd want to get the cover discs and and play those games but the culture around it was just so was so good and those those early magazines i mean there was you know yourself you'd have people like kieran gillen working on them and uh, obviously mr biffo on on digitizer which was uh for, for anyone that doesn't remember was um part of the cfax service that you would just get on your on your television so so like i guess early versions of web pages that you would um that you would be able to access via tv just very funny writing and then and then later charlie brooker on um on pc zone it just that had a really big impact on me i didn't realize it at the time but i, I think it was reading those magazines and then and then getting more into games. Once I, you know, once I was earning some money in college, I started to be able to to buy 
actual games console. So I was, you know, the Dreamcast, I think was the, was the first one that I bought. Um, I, I did have a Game Gear when I was growing up, but the first proper uh, console that I bought. And, um, you know, again, even the, the official Dreamcast magazine was very funny as well and had a real personality to it. And I think just shortly after that, once I'd, once I'd gone to university and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be, I, as soon as I got my first student loan, I went out and bought a PlayStation 2 and then, a, and then an Xbox and was starting to get more, more interested in um, or sort of playing more get playing more and more games I started to think oh, actually you know I'm not I'm not trained in journalism but I'd like it's, it's something that I'd like to give it a go and so I ended up uh, just chanting my arm writing to um, Virgin Student when I was in my last year of university uh, which, which was just a website that I'd read quite a lot of it doesn't exist anymore I think at that point it, this is so this has been early 2000s at that point I was um uh, I, I was using it to send free text messages because you had a text message. It was like <laughs> yeah. five, this is like aging me, but it's it's that's why I was using that website. So anyway, I write to them, ask them to review um, a game, and actually one of the games that I wanted to, to discuss was I think we we spoke about it just before we came on, which was games that you have to review that you might that are either not very good or you might not be into. So I remember the first game they asked me to review, which was uh, Medieval Total War um, around two thousand and two. And that's a game. That's a, that's a strategy game series that I have not, very little interest in. It's a very good game, but you know, one of those um, one of those times that you find out about reviewing video games uh, as a job is when you have to review something that you you not you wouldn't necessarily um, be interested in outside of work. And sometimes that can be a slog, and sometimes you can make it fun. And um, we can talk about your Kenny Dalglish experience again. But <laughs> I, uh, I yeah, I wrote to Virgin Student, and I think it was I think it was. I think I just I had the confidence. This comes with being a you know a straight white man, I guess. But like the confidence to just go, yeah, I can do that. I can write about uh, you know video games, and because I've read a lot of magazines. But um, yeah, I was lucky to given be given a chance there. And I think also there was a it was a perfect storm. I didn't like what I was doing at university, which was business and IT. I found it quite boring. Um, I, I didn't have any I didn't have any money left, so I was like, oh, there's a way of getting free games as well. And it was just at the sort of start of, of, I guess, the people properly using the internet. I mean, I remember a distinct change. I didn't have a laptop at that point. I had to go down to the university library to use the internet. Um, but that chair, I remember my best friend of a couple of years younger than me, he then had internet on campus. And it just felt like at the time, you know, the internet was becoming a real a real thing at the early 2000s. So, yeah, that's that was my that was my into video games. And um yeah, I've been very lucky. I think, you know, we, when we started working together, I thought it was interesting because you you'd been on you'd been on television and you you're one of those natural writers, I think, and it's very annoying for people like me because I have to re- <laughs> I have to really try hard. It is you, me. It, that was just years and years of failing. Right. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I, I have a very similar story to yourself. In fact, that I just wanted to do something different um, and applied for a video games magazine because I written a few bits in a school newspaper right it was literally that 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 basic and i and i was i was very young when i left school so um it was more a case of necessity and learning on the job um and we'll come all to that in a minute actually we'll come to home center choice for example Mm. in a little while which is where we first uh, met and um but first i'd like to go back a little bit in the to the current to the current thread feature that we run on games life which is the games of a lifetime feature where we look at five games that mean a lot to you not necessarily the best games not necessarily the worst games not necessarily your favorite games at all but games that actually mean something to you um so without with all that said let's go to the first games of your lifetime games of a lifetime number one uh, so the first one that I um, have made a note of, although I feel like it's going to change as we actually discuss this, um, is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Just just because, um, like I said, my my sort of early games experience had been um, with games uh, on 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 computer platforms. There were some great ones, but I always gravitated towards getting Street Fighter Two. Couldn't wait for Street Fighter Two to come out on the Amiga or Mortal Kombat Two. Well, obviously, I was into fighting games at the time. But that was because I had a I had a friend who lived up the road, and I had a number of friends actually that had Mega Drives. I think in my area, for whatever reason, Mega Drives were more popular than the SNES. 
And I just couldn't believe there was this game of just, so, it was just so fun. It was so polished. I had some, some great characters. I, you know, I was a bit of a nerd, so uh, still am, but was reading Sonic, uh, Sonic the comic at the time and really getting into, um, uh, into that. And um, yeah, it just, it, it just sticks out to me because that was, that was a point where I was like, I, I was, I was basically friends with someone just so that I could keep going back to the house and, um, and play Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and I think that really just opened my eyes to, to, to the, the quality of the games that were coming out on console from Japan. Um, like I said, obviously, I, I played a bit of Mario, but Sonic, because of uh, having Mega Drive owning friends, was was more prevalent. And um, yeah, that's the first game that really sticks in my mind of, of something where I was like, I'm into this, I'm into the culture, the wider culture. And I guess the, the spark of an idea of wanting to wanting to write about video games in the future. Excellent. Um, so with that, uh, we can now move on, actually. And before we do, we move on to Home Cinema Choice, which is your first foray in professional uh, professional tech writing, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, we'll uh, go back to that Kenny Dalglish story just to avoid <laughs> any confusion for listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a, um, one of my most memorable games is um, I wrote for uh, Amstrad Computer User many, many years, many, many years ago. Um, the uh, review of Kenny Dalglish soccer match, and I think I gave it two out of a hundred, uh, purely because you could reuse the tape case. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, such a great review, though, Rick. That's such a, like a pithy. I mean, the thing, the thing that I wanted to talk about actually was um, just going on the other side of of the of the of the fence. I don't know if you've you've worked in like game creation. Obviously, I've I've done some consulting in my time, not not so much recently, but. Um, seeing the sweat and the blood and the tears that goes into it, you know, it's like, I, I, as I go older, I, I sort of think more about, you know, if you've, even if you've produced something that's a two out of 10 game, you've really like toiled over that thing and just reading those reviews must be terrible. Yeah, but Hey, at least it's funny. Whoever did Kenny Douglas soccer match didn't spend more than 10 minutes. on it. I'm telling <laughs> you that. So on to home similar choice. The first time we met. And uh, I think you were already there when I joined, I think you'd just joined a short while before. I was uh, as yeah. a as a staff writer, and um, of course it was not really games. In fact, we did. I, I seem to remember there was quite a resistance against games when I joined. Um, yeah, and I and I I did whatever I could to, uh, as I'm sure you did, to get games in there. I remember I remember at the time. So this would have been early, so 2004, I think it was. Um, there was a thing around using an using an Xbox, using a modified Xbox as a media center. That's I remember doing. Yeah, I remember you bringing one in. I was about to mention that. Funny enough, because we used to talk about games obviously a lot because we were the only two on the team that pretty much played them. Um, and uh, the the my m- most distinct memory of you of you on the magazine was bringing in that original Xbox to show us all XBMC. Yeah, yeah, we had to at that point. Obviously, now if you're buying a home cinema or a, a, a amazing TV, one of the major things I think for most people is going to be playing games on it. Especially like if you, you know, the latest OLEDs from LG, they do, you know, they've got G Sync and they do 120 hertz and all the rest of it. They're amazing for for gaming. But back then, it really was about. I think it was Laserdisc, and it was like high definition was only just coming in and it was like, it was still really hot. He liked to have, had to import, uh, import discs from America to watch Blade Runner or whatever. And there was one of the features that was about the best HD content. It was so desperate. It was like, I had to write to porn studios to like get, try and get like just oh, content. And uh, yeah, so I was like, but I was trying to, I was trying to um, get, get gaming in there yeah because i thought that you know if you if you've got a, a home cinema set up then you're gonna then you're gonna want to play games on it obviously you know not to not to stereotype that audience but i think it was a, an older probably still is an older male audience but um yeah i had the t- i mean i i had the time of my life on that on that magazine I, I you're right i joined fresh out of uni had written a bit for virgin had had no idea i remember distinctly going to a, a home cinema center in york which is where near where i grew up and, and and talking to a guy who owned it and just been like okay tell me tell me everything you know so that i can ace this interview and, and uh, sort of learned about because obviously those products i mean we were reviewing you know fifty thousand pound speaker systems yeah. and so i mean i wasn't personally because it would have been it would have been inappropriate because i've never really experienced them but you know i started out on the news section, like right, basically rewriting press releases and and um, you know sort of 
taking the important information out and um yeah gradually moved on to doing um reviews and stuff but i don't don't think we've ever talked about this because i i when i was there i i joined um there was a girl called libby who had my staff writer job beforehand and she she'd gone into pr and she was lovely she'd she'd um let me stay i'd moved down to london she, I, she'd let me stay at hers and got me up to speed i don't think she was i don't think she was ever really into the you know the 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 massively into the sort of the high-end tvs and stuff and at those point at that point again this is really a long time ago they were like deep like rear projection tvs you occasionally would get an lcd coming through but they were still big tvs and um yeah, so I was like, I was re- I was, I had a massive imposter syndrome because I was like, I'm, I, I don't really know what I'm talking about too much here, and I'm learning on the job, and and then I remember, I remember you coming in, and I was like, so they've got this, they've got this senior staff writer coming in, he's been on television, he's like written for all my favorite magazines, he's really charismatic, like, what are they doing to me? Because I was like, because I wasn't that, I wasn't that great, and I, I, you know, I would still say that I still have to try really hard at, um, at writing. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, I was, I was, I was like, cause I would get feedback about, you know, this being the worst stuff you've ever read. And so I was, I was like, yeah, it was, it was a big learning curve for me. It was actually weird when I then went to work for a big American company and then it was all very touchy feely. I kind of preferred the earlier, um, <laughs> yeah. earlier HTC stuff, but it was such a good culture that it's just, you know, just, it was, we all felt like we we're in it together and it was, it was hard work, but we would, you know, be out every night for drinks. It was, um, I really enjoyed that, that, that era. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But funny enough, I winged it as well. I honestly, oh, wow. okay. when I, yeah, when I got that job, I winged that interview. It was kind of, I'd been temping for sort of charities and all sorts of things. Right, right, right. So, um, and I was on a sabbatical from gaming. And the one right. thing I can credit you with is, getting my inspiration bringing gaming back into my life because oh, quite wow. frankly um after i left because i'd left the bbc about a year i think or so before yeah and um and i was so disillusioned with gaming having tried desperately to make gaming tv any and and failing at that yeah. point. and then everybody turning around and saying gaming is dead and honest to god people don't remember this but there was a time at the um in the early 2000s when gaming was kind of vilified again, mm. certainly as a mass entertainment product, and uh, and I kind of and I was I was I, you know, gone through a number of contracts that hadn't panned out, um, so I thought I got to try something else. So I winged it myself. I knew nothing about TVs. <laughs> I genuinely didn't. I mean, luckily my dad's an electrical engineer; has always had interest in this sort of thing. So I kind of got his advice on all of that. But um, so both of us were winging it, but both of us did a pretty good job of learning very, very quickly on what was and what wasn't important. And that's a brilliant segue into the uh, into your next um, part of your career. But first, we'll go back to the games of a lifetime and look at your second game. Games of a lifetime. Number two. Yeah, my second choice, and uh, apologies if these are um, if these are too modern, because I'm moving quite forward quite uh, quickly here. Um, my, my next one was uh, was Wipeout 2047. I, I I think I don't remember really playing the first Wipeout. I was being aware of it, but I just remember um, I, I just playing the a playing that game for the first time, but b just being being really impressed with the job that they'd done in terms of like creating the world and the the branding of it. That sounds quite superficial, but I think at the time I was, you know, I was getting, I was end of college, getting more interested in graphic design as a, as a concept and branding. Um, it was, it was developed in conjunction with the Sheffield design outfit. I was going to Sheffield university um, with, uh, called the designers Republic had a really distinctive design, had an amazing soundtrack. It had, stuff that you hadn't really seen in a in a video game before and it was it felt i mean the, the famous story about um about wipeout is that you know it was placed into clubs wasn't it i think it was placed into either gatecrasher or ministry of sound and it was an yeah. integral part of that playstation dominance through the 90s about repositioning you know the, the playstation completely away from nintendo and sega which were seen as quite kid oriented into something that you know was cool and edgy and hip and you know was being advertised in mix mag and other things like that so wipeout 2047 was 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 one for me where I, it really made me stand up and notice how games were changing and the other the other big one i started to try, i started to get a bit probably pseudo intellectual started moving away from um the the sort of the 
the PC zones. I think I think they were still going at that time, but starting to read Edge, and it was just a really Edge was really interesting and exciting because it had it just felt like you were on the inside of, of an industry that had all this other stuff going on. You know, there was new new games that you'd never heard of on, on new consoles, even from Japan, um, that you just you, you wouldn't get access to any other way. And so, yeah, Wipeout 2047 just stands out to me as part of that era where there was just an ex- a new sort of excitement, a grown-up presence in video games. And that just, that really appealed to me. And that kick-started, again, my, uh, my interest in going into it professionally. Excellent. Um, now, on to... GameSpot UK. Mm. Um, you left home Cinema Choice and mm-hmm. went to seek your fortune and fame in, um, I, I think, um, didn't you start writing for CNET first? Um, I did, yeah. Talk yeah. us through that. Talk how you got onto GameSpot in the first place. Well, I mean, it was always my my aspiration to to to, to work on a games magazine. And actually, while we were at um, Home Cinema Choice, um, we had a sister publication called Games TM in Bournemouth. And um, I don't know, did you ever freelance for them? I didn't freelance, but I always read it. I, I loved it until it died. Not even that long ago, was it? It was... Um... A lot of good people worked on that magazine. There were, I remember, we'd get we'd get magazines in from from different divisions. Um, it was called Hybrid Publishing at the time, and and we would get it in. And I I might get the numbers slightly wrong, but it was it was like it was like one hundred and eighty pages every month, and it was about one hundred and sixty four of editorial. Like we li- we didn't know how they did it. They, they yeah. basically must have just not slept or like gone out. It was they it, a lot of love went into that magazine. So yeah, so I was I was sort of, you know, my mind got being like how how would I make my move over to um uh, over to work on that title. Um but in the interim, yeah, CNET. So CNET had uh, was a big presence in the US, they had a big tech website. Uh, they wanted to um start up in the UK, start a UK presence. Um they were doing something called global local. So and, and this is still something to this day that actually um uh, Anna Wintour is, is sort of famously trying to do over at Condé Nast, which is sort of Global content for a global audience, but with local flavor. So, you know, obviously with CNET UK, um, with on the tech side, televisions can be broadly similar, broadly the same, but there might be some key differences yeah. when they release them in the UK. Um, and so, and obviously there's certain content that appeals to um, to different audiences. And I've always felt, I don't know how you feel about, there's some great American journalism. You know, I, I love um, uh, New Yorker magazine and uh, Vulture and um, there's some good stuff done over there. But I always, I've always felt as though the UK can have a bit more of a an edge to it and that we can do a bit more interesting stuff. So we would, you know, we would write about um, things like, you know, I got, I got mugged, unfortunately, while carrying a, an expensive phone in London. So we wrote, you know, we wrote about that, and we did. Um, we tried to make more challenging video content. Um, so yeah, so I, I worked on CNET, and then you know, I sort of joined there, thinking, oh, actually, they, they're the publisher of Gamespot as well. And Gamespot was was really influential for me in in the sort of early two thousands, just in terms of re- reading it. It was very prolific. There's some great writers um, on the on the American side, and it just. It was one of those when when I heard the GameSpot was starting up, well, they were looking to do a UK version of it. I think I'd been on CNET for about a year and a half and progressed to a, a reviews editor. And this was all pre iPhone, so it was you know the Motorola Razor, the original one. It was that yeah. era. It was it was LCDs. I'd re- I'd really enjoyed it, but I just when GameSpot UK started up, I just was like all over that. I was like, uh, can I can I write? How do I join? So we had we had an editor that um, that started it up, but um, she moved on. Uh, to to work in project manage project management and um yeah then i they got the chance to to edit it for about four or five years it was a, a really interesting time i think you know the the challenges of that job were that that GameSpot is a u.s site and and uh, and always will be i think and so it's you know and it's it's a very big site as well and it, it's um you know tens of millions of, of readers and so when you've got a site that that's bit that big and that influential and you're a uk satellite office it, it was sometimes quite frustrating getting um you know sign off to do things and you had to get everything approved and really that was my job a lot of the time was just liaising with the us and making sure that they were that they were happy but you got um, you got some amazing, you know, you got to work with Ubisoft on the biggest exclusives around Assassin's Creed and you got to incredible access. Um, you know, uh, I thought it was a, a really great time, you know, that we're doing so much video content. Video was still very new, but I, it's something I really enjoyed, you know, getting to interview, you know, people that I really admire. I mean, 
I guess off the top of my head, like Tetsuya Mizuguchi and Cliff Blazinski and just, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. But it, it also had its challenges as well because I, I worked through that era of um, when Jeff Gerstmann was uh, let go yeah. or was, was or left of his, uh, of his own devices. Um, it was, it was, it was, it, it made me very sort of um, uh, antsy that period because it, it was it was the worst. It, we weren't controlling it internally very well, and it was it didn't look good. He reviewed Kane and Lynch and, and given it a six, and um, left shortly afterwards. And it was just not a, it was just not a good look. Um, and then and so I don't know I don't know if it was connected. I don't know if it was uh, if it was um, back in my mind. But I, I I did I certainly considered sort of leaving at that time. Obviously, I didn't because I needed an income. But um, I I. I remember then tweeting about Tomb Raider, like one of the PRs had asked me not to um, review Tomb Raider for a certain a period of time unless I was going to give it an eight or above. And I remember tweeting about that around 2008 in probably one of the stupidest things I've done. But, um, you know, that was, you know, I remember it was just, there was, a, there was this relationship with IDOS that, at the time or Square Enix now, which was really fraught and, um, yeah, it, it, it was full of challenges, but also some am- amazing periods to be working on a games website. It was the Xbox 360 had just come out, and there was games coming out every month, like um, Dead Rising, and obviously, um, uh, well, the, the first Tomb Raider I did quite like uh, on on Xbox 360, and it was um, yeah, again, just uh, just an incredible time in the games industry. I loved it. What do you think of journalism back then? Um, obviously, we've talked a little bit about journalism, uh, games journalism in the 90s, which I think was fueled very much by the loaded generation and Viz yeah. and things. So it was all, it was almost, it was almost we were comedy writers writing about video games. Then coming up to the 2000s, it was starting to get a bit more serious, wasn't it? Where people were taking games a little more seriously than they had before. Yeah, I mean the the business was was changing dramatically because um, you were starting to get into the era of data. So, you know, one of the the reasons that Gamespot was so profitable was because they produced and they still do uh, produce a product off the back of it called Tracks, which allows publishers and retailers and anyone else that wants to pay to see it to see how well, let's just say, Battlefield twenty uh, what's the next Battlefield twenty forty two is is doing against Core Duty Vanguard, and so. Um, that information, as, as anyone that works at Facebook or Google will tell you, is it makes it a really important um, product. Aside from the fact it's a, it's a big journalistic outlet, which, you know, when you, when you produce a review or a, or a piece of video content for, for GameSpot, you know, it's doing in a day sort of tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands of views. And, you know, when you come from the magazine world where you, you sell you know, if you're lucky, sort of 50, 60,000 copies. And that was sort of in, in the heyday of, um, I worked on stuff for a while. That's, that's, that's certainly very good uh, sales for them. Um, yeah, it, it was just the scale of the people that you were reaching. It, it, that manifested itself quite badly because it would, you would be, you would get feedback certainly if people disagreed with your review score. So I gave um, Little Big Planet quite a high, high review score and some people didn't agree with that. But also, you just you just get some quite personal um, attacks coming through, and you just had to sort of, um, you know, weather yourself against them. And certainly, I had it no like in nowhere near the same fashion that um, uh, the women that we had uh, on on Gamespot uh, received that that sort of feedback. But um, yeah, it was. I certainly I certainly felt at the time that 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 it was obvious that there were people at the top that were that were quite close to publishers um and that would certainly they wouldn't try and exert their influence but you would feel you would feel and you would understand because you would see it with your own eyes the the level of um sponsorship that would be on the site actually one of the thing, good things that GameSpot did was they would give us uh, pro accounts or paid accounts where we wouldn't actually see the advertising and that would help numb you to it a little bit but certainly on a on a with the amount with the with the campaigns that were coming through that, that were in the hundreds of thousands um and obviously they would be they would be set at the same time as um uh, as the game was being released it would put a certain pressure on you if you're um reviewing that game what's funny though now is that you know i've got friends that have moved on from uh, from gamespot now work at twitch and they're they the money that they're making off their advertising puts that into a different perspective <laughs> altogether so um you know we're talking millions of um, millions of pound campaigns but um yeah it's uh it was it was a it was I feel it was a, it was a great website to work on because it had it had that era of um, again Jeff Gersman someone who's very influential in the in the industry and there was a great UK team where we were experimenting a lot um, 
I, I actually, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't tend to read GameSpot and IGN that much anymore. Um, I, I tend to get my my uh, gaming fix on YouTube and obviously Pocket Lint, but um, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, your your reviews are your reviews are very good, actually. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I uh, I've stopped I've stopped reading them. I think I don't don't know how much they speak to me anymore. Um, now we'll move on to another game of your lifetime. Games of a lifetime number three. So, so my next choice is I think um, my favorite game ever. It's uh, it's a game called Res, and um, again I picked this up on on Dreamcast, and then picked it up again on PlayStation Two, and then picked it up again on Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, and then I've been playing it in Oculus VR. Um, it's it's moving on from the wipeout thing of just you know this is pushing games forward in a way that I haven't seen before and um you know Res was a was a game um that that came out that I I'd played Tetsuya Mizuguchi who's the, the director um his games previously and was into Sega Rally but Res was a game that just really uh, pushed things forward in terms of uh, an experience that I hadn't really had in video games before I'm sure I'm sure you will have something that um something that that like that that came before but rapper, you know, rapper. Parappa the Rapper, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's that's <laughs> another one, yeah, another. I was obsessed another, by Parappa the Rapper. It's another out there one, um, but Res is, um, yeah, it's it, it's it's a very short game. You can essentially finish about an hour and a half. Uh, so when you when you're spending your your thirty pounds or forty pounds on um, on when it came out on the Dreamcast, it's quite a lot of uh, not much game for, for for quite a bit of money. But um, Res is it's five levels um, with a couple bonus areas. Um, but each one is very distinct in terms of its story and its presentation, and you're essentially flying through a through a computer to get to the um, to get to the the core of it to sort of remove a virus. Although it is very it's very abstract in terms of what it actually is about. But it's the visuals, it's the music, it's the sense of um, it's an overwhelming sense of being immersed in something that um, I don't think I've had before, especially in VR. And um, again, it's it's influenced by my my early love of um, of, Red, of uh, Edge magazine, and um, I just it's just a game that I keep coming back to, and I love. But I also understand if people don't like it or see think that it's overrated as well. I, I think maybe it's one of those that you have to be there. You really have to like electronic music, or uh, but but I fit into all of those categories. Right, the next part of your uh, career that we look at is um, your dalliance with the BBC. And specifically, you worked on a couple of projects with them, but um, you were a consultant on The Game Changers, the mm. TV show starring Daniel Radcliffe as Sam Hauser, who about the rock star legal battle, essentially the legal battle be- between them and Jack Thompson, who is a character who's popped up in my life a few times as well. Oh, yeah. um, I've had e- emails from him telling him I was spawn of Satan. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's, um <laughs> that's strong yeah because he he was uh yeah he was he was a big um he was always appearing on uh on GameSpot when i was working there as well yeah he was he uh, he seemed to be all over the place i don't know who was doing his pr but um yeah shall i give a bit of background on that yeah me? how did you get involved in it what? and and did it come out as well as you'd hoped well uh yes no it didn't but i i I've been very lucky in my career in terms of I left GameSpot and was freelance and was and was generally just writing for anyone that would uh, that would have me. So um, including Pocket Lint, I remember doing a, a piece on it was uh, an alien game. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the name of it. I'll have a, I'll have a look, but I, I remember going to um, to uh, Area Fifty One to cover that for Pocket Lint. Anyway, yes, I was I was freelancing, and then uh, one of the producers for BBC Scotland. Uh, approached me and uh, and we met and he said that they were doing a series um uh, the bbc was doing a series of uh, about british coding successes um and was asking about what i thought might want to be covered in that and, and also what um whether i'd be interested in being involved obviously the bbc i was like yeah absolutely i'd, uh, I'd love to be involved but um yeah they i actually thought it was good because i think that the bbc has a, it does have a tendency to look back Obviously, at very important um, uh, historical events, be it world wars or uh, you know the um, uh, uh, stuff to do with the royal family. So I thought it was good that they were doing something around coding successes, especially um, because in the in the area of games, they can get a lot of um, bad press. And whenever I was talking um, about video games to someone from the BBC or the or the news, it tended to be around things like oh gosh, Grand Theft Auto is very violent, isn't it? And all the all the negative things you can do, rather than the cultural impact that it's that it's had and continued to has continues to have. So I 
um, I remember having a conversation about Grand Theft Auto. They'd optioned um, David Kushner's book uh, he'd written about uh, the inner workings of Rockstar. And um, I uh, said that I would come on board and, and help. And then um, once once I was in, I started working on Horizon, which was a different um, show about the positive impacts of video games. But the 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 houses um, drama was interesting because I I went in and, and basically um, I tried to make as many connections as I could with Rockstar Games people uh, past so past and present at the time. So this was uh, 2014, 13, 14, I think. And it was all, it was a completely new skill set for me because you know it's it's proper investigative journalism. It's it's trying to make contact, trying to talk to people who may not want to talk about their time working at Rockstar. Um, but it's really it was really trying to build a picture of um, of the stuff that was that had been covered in um, in Kushner's book um, about Rockstar Games. Trying to give the writer some background and some information on what it was like internally, the internal culture of um, of Rockstar at the time, and trying to give them anecdotes that would make for a um, you know make for a good drama. So um, I did that for about I think it feels to me about four or five months, and and really that was that was uh, three days a week of of trying to trying to dig up dirt essentially. And before that. You know, Rockstar are like Apple in many ways. They're very, um, they have a very good relationship with a certain number of journalists. And I felt as though I was in that inner circle. We, you know, they would take me to for Christmas dinner, and they do these very good long demos of their games. Obviously, they only tend to re- release games like Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto once every three or four years and when they do as a journalist if you're working on GameSpot or, or whatever you get invited and they, and they they really roll out the red carpet you get you get half a day a day to sort of see what they're see what the latest changes in the game are and that you get you get walked through it it's all very detailed it's very opposite to someone like uh, an EA or an Activision where it's like get all the journalists in yeah. <laughs> give them all the same experience it's very bespoke it must take Rockstar's PR team weeks to get through um the, the the journalists that they bring in so yeah so i i thought I was, I was sort of in the inner sanctum of uh of rockstar and it didn't take long sniffing around for them to get on to me and be like hey we've heard the bbc's doing something about us are you are you involved da, da, da. so um yeah i haven't really spoken to rockstar since but um what i thought was interesting about that process was it was obviously great. It was obviously a, a thing that I was very interested in doing, and uh, I feel as though yeah, I, I'd, I I learned a lot from that process. But um, the, the writer on the show was the writer of uh, he'd written Rev, which was a, a BBC two yeah. comedy comedy drama, um, which had gotten great reviews. But um, as the project was getting through to to filming, it filmed in South Africa. Um, I was being called on on a more ad hoc basis to to be like. Um, just just feed in on on and just help them nail the authenticity of it. So uh, one example I can remember was that there was a story I think on the first at Red Dead that um, that Rockstar North had to get hands on involved in sort of, it, it seemed to be um, not coming along in the way that they wished at Rockstar San Diego. And so it, I had to just talk through what that process would look like, how long that would take in terms of the two studios working together and, you know, just, just make sure that they nailed the authenticity of what a, a, a Rockstar Games would look like internally. So obviously it was quite detailed in the book. They had um, posters of... They, they, they really fetishized sort of um, uh, Miami Vice and uh, Tony Scott, the director. And so it's just getting those details right. But I remember getting the script through and, and sort of reading it. And, and this isn't my area. So I felt when I read it, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. It, wasn't, it didn't really seem to me to have um, sort of a, an amazing dramatic arc. But I, I, I mean, I, I raised it at the time with, the, um, uh, with my uh, producer but it's it, that that was the stuff that I wish I could have had more of a more of an impact yeah. on. Not that I would have made it better because I'm not a draw. I I've never written a script in my life. But you know I've watched enough. I you know I've watched enough drama to sort of feel as though um, I had a, a handle on it. So it didn't turn out. It didn't turn out as well as I thought. And I remember sitting in the uh, we had a, a cast and crew screening. I think as it went live, and I'd, I'd seen the sort of early um, early version of it. Um, and sort of watching it and going, ah, that didn't that didn't really work out. But it was really it was it was a really interesting process. I was trying to find out uh, in preparation for this whether you can actually watch it anywhere. I don't think you can. I don't think. No, it used to be on, on iPlayer, Netflix. but I think they've taken it away from iPlayer now. They've uh, yeah, it's, it's actually a, quite tricky to get hold of. 
it's an interesting yeah which is uh, which is good for me but it's interesting it's an interesting historical artifact i think it's a, it's it's good that the bbc got involved it's good that um daniel radcliffe and bill paxton um who was one of my favorite actors and uh as, as a such a shame that he's he's now gone um it it was it, and it was a really interesting insight for me to work at the bbc which is, is a highly political um uh, place i remember very early on, basically having a conversation with um, the producer in a lift and, and him saying, do not mention anything about what you're working on to anyone else because basically there was a feeling that internally stuff could get snapped up or taken, yeah. you know, you, 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 you might be able to shed light on this. You, you, you know, if you mentioned it, you might then see it on, you know, Panorama or whatever. Um, uh, it was it was quite internally competitive. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. The, the Horizon document, the Horizon documentary route. We we um, I helped them do uh, find games that that would help uh, Alzheimer's sufferers that would kind of experiment with them and their memory, um, uh, holding on to memories, and that worked out really well. And actually, that's the one I spent uh, less time on. Another cunning segue into the fourth Games of Lifetime. Games of a Lifetime. Number four. Well, I've already mentioned it already, but I, I said um, when my first professional um, video game review for, for Virgin Student was Medieval Total War. So it's not a game that I've gone back to, and it's not a game that um, the Total War series that I've um, uh, picked up really subsequently. And maybe you can convince me to, to change that, actually, Rick. I don't know if you're a fan of this series. I'm, I was. I was very early days, um, uh, mainly inspired by, I think it was a... Um, uh, TV show on BBC Two mm. that kind of replaced Robot Wars, and in fact, I remember uh, this. It's yeah. quite, this is quite bitter as well because that was <laughs> the show that was commissioned to replace the show that I failed with at the BBC. Right, so um, is, but that sorry, used Total War as a sort yeah. of like a way of simulating famous battles, and that kind of inspired me to try out the Total War games, and I did enjoy them for a while. But the problem I have um, nowadays is time and PC gaming. PC gaming takes time. It's time to invest in. It takes time to sort of like, and it's quite a solo thing. Whereas I can, I like to just sit in the living room and just muck about on a console these days. Of course, yeah. You see, I'm a massive PC nerd, so I, you know, I, I've um, so much so that I've like, I've, I, uh, in lockdown, beginning of lockdown, I had uh, an Apple, Apple Mac, and an Apple iPhone, and everything else. I, I was like, my MacBook Pro wasn't really doing it for me, and it wasn't, it was running out of memory when I was doing some video stuff. So I, I then looked at what I could get for an equivalent, about £1,200 in the PC world, and, and I bought a PC gaming laptop, I think the first one I've ever bought. And, and now I'm just, you know, getting a quick hour um, before bed. I'm sure it annoys the, the hell of my partner. But, you know, that for me has now become how I game. I've, I do have a PlayStation 5, but I don't, you know, I, I and I have been playing a few games on it. But, yeah, I could talk to you all day about PC gaming. I think that um, the, the PC is such a, uh, even just for playing the multi-format stuff. Um, but to go back to, to Medieval Total War, yeah, it just, it, it, it was a real effort for me at the time. I think it taught me a lot about just, just persevering with something, giving new things a try, and then that then helped me when I when I started writing about home cinema, which you know up until that point, and including at that point, I had no money, so I wasn't able to like invest in really nice televisions and stuff. But it 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 taught me to stick at something, to to learn it, to learn its intricacies, um, and to appreciate it, and then write about it in a, in a way that's hopefully um interesting and entertaining and authoritative. So um, yeah, I choose Medieval Total War. It's a weird one, even though I've, I've never gone back to it and I haven't really even played the, the series. But um, yeah, hopefully one of your listeners can um, talk me into giving it a try. Maybe one of the Warhammer ones. Now on to an aside in your career, which is that you were a, um, you're a games jury member for BAFTA. Yes. Um, how did that come about? How did you get into that and become in quite a pivotal person in the games BAFTA side of things? Oh, thanks. I um I uh, was doing some hosting for BAFTA when I was at Gamespot, so we um had gotten involved with uh, Ninja Theory uh, from Cambridge, who have done the um. What's the game? I've totally forgotten the, the game that we originally interviewed them for, but I've done um, Hellblade, uh, Senua's Sacrifice more recently. Um, uh, what was the one with Andy Serkis that they've gotten involved? It was based on uh, an old um, book called 
based around Monkey, I think. I, I'm totally blank. <laughs> Enslaved. Enslaved. They made a game the called one. Enslaved. Oh, I loved with, Enslaved, actually. Um, <laughs> Circus. Yeah, it was it was really good. So, um, yeah, I uh, was doing some hosting for that and then just got asked to to, to get involved um, as a member, which I did, um, and then got more involved with um, uh, the, the film side and obviously working on that TV show as well. I, I should say I don't do anything on film or TV because I, I, as demonstrated by that Grand Theft Auto drama, I don't know anything about television. But, um, yeah, I, I do uh, try and get involved as much as possible on the game side and, and put myself forward for, for games, juries. They're an interesting... Um, they're, they're, the way that they're judged is really interesting because they get a panel of experts. So they'll have programmers, artists, they'll have journalists, they'll even have influencers, media personalities. Um, and they get them all together and you hash it out over what's the best story that year or best story is always the one that unless you've got um, an amazing amount of time or have played all the games this year, you don't want to get into because you've got to finish so many games and it takes quite a long time. But you know, the, I've done best kids game as well. And it's really interesting to hear a diverse um, array of opinions on stuff because, you know, you, you will hear from a, you know, for the kids game um, category, very interesting. Um, you know, when, when people who have families, I, I don't have uh, kids, the way that they talk about games and appreciate them for different reasons, or again, you know, you, you will get an artist completely change your opinion on a certain game. So I've always really in, enjoyed them. I'm sure you have the same when you do the pocket lint awards as well. It's just interesting to, to, to sort of end the year on a, 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 and, and hear about maybe games that you didn't think were as good as other people did and be convinced otherwise um, and it's just a, it's an interesting process for, for BAFTA because they you, you essentially have to vote and then they if there's a clear winner that's it but if there isn't then people have to sort of go to bat and and and, um, and make their case for the, for their games and uh, yeah it's it really genuinely seems to result in some very good games winning the BAFTAs each year. And that brings us on to your last of your Games of Your Lifetime, number five. Games of a Lifetime, number five. Yeah, so last one um, is Little Big Planet on uh, the PlayStation 3, I want to say. I think it's PlayStation 3. It was PlayStation 3, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I didn't make a note, so I'm trying to remember what it was. This was a big review for me at GameSpot, and when you do those big games, you... The process at GameSpot was, and, and as far as I know, still is, you have to submit your review to the international editorial team who then pick it apart before before the fans pick it apart. So it's actually, it's a brutal process, but it's also um, a much needed one and your reviews come out the other side much better. But um, anyone that's that's been involved with it, and I don't know if there's a similar, with you, uh, places that you worked at, it's it's daunting because you just you submit something oh please just like i hope it's okay and it just gets that it just gets seven bells kicked out of it and that's that's good that's 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 great because it then when you publish it you have you feel more confident about it but um yeah little big planet i think i think it was my first real big review for for a game that i'd really been looking forward to again loved what media molecule had been doing i think probably that's part of it, it was it's a british game sort of british sensibilities that opening had stephen fry in it and it was all very quaint and sort of you know hand knitted feel hand, handcrafted feel um and i just remember i remember making a real effort not that i didn't make a real effort for other stuff but again we're getting so we had to do video reviews and so i remember using those tools to make to craft the intro to the video um and it was one of those moments at games what it was it was super competitive and it was it had some real star journalists and i remember submitting that to the group and some people just getting back to me and going that was that was really cool like that you, you really like nailed the you know the whole point of the game i think i think i was too light on it i think i gave it a nine i think i was too forgiving it had these sort of floaty platforming yeah. mechanics and I don't. I think I sort of mentioned it and said, "Yeah, but look over here. It's so fun and creative and amazing." And I think it still. I think it still uh, still stands up. And I think that you know, it's a shame to see some of the little big planet servers being turned off, uh, or they would. I think they've been threatened to be turned off recently. Back to you. Um, what's next for you, or what are you up to at the moment? And uh, and what would you hope to achieve? Are you, are you trying to get more into the game side of things again, or wow, what, speak- what are you? Big question. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. Um, uh, so I've uh, during lockdown, uh, I've moved out to Cambridge. I moved out of London, 
Um, so I'm now living outside of Cambridge. Uh, so that's just a personal ch- uh, change for me. Um, I'm uh, working from home and, and doing um, journalist stuff. So I've just done a, a review for Trusted Reviews. Um, I've been doing some gaming stuff in the Metro newspaper. I'm um, one of those annoying talking heads that pops up occasionally on um, on talk radio and Al Jazeera and Sky News and very divisively on my Facebook feed, GB News. Uh, <laughs> I've, I was going to ask you about GB News. Yeah, I'd look, it's, it's 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 an interesting one. My, you know, my my personal politics are, are, are very um, very left leaning and very um, yeah, not uh, not in line. But it, you know, I'm also a tech expert, and if they want to ask me about the Amazon robots or uh, um, what else, what else have I done recently? Uh, I remember doing one on. There was a story about the the, the conference of. Um, AI experts, not, that's not what it's called, but I forget what the conference was called. Um, we're, we're going to be having physical um, and emotional relationships with uh, with robots or an AI of some description <laughs> in 2050. I think that I think that plays to um, uh, to GB News' uh, sort of audience <laughs> of, of fear. But you know, actually, I'll give I'll give GB News its, it's dues. Actually, um, you know, it's uh, when I go on, I get to sort of speak about whatever I'm speaking about for about seven minutes, which doesn't sound that long, but usually on, as you'll know from other oh, yeah. channels you usually get about two two to three minutes and actually once you've said what what the thing is about you get very little to actually um discuss it or expand on it or give your own opinion on it um yeah certainly you know i'd, I'd be reticent to um uh to 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 go on someone like farage's show or discuss anything i wouldn't discuss anything around politics but um yeah i i i have had some feedback from my um friends in the sort of liberal media um establishment have said that that's uh that they, they don't support that but um yeah just you know i think it's for me it's about exposure and for for sort of you know even um gb news uh viewers want to find out about tech it's tech is universal it's um no matter where you're on the political spectrum it's not only something that people are interested in but it's it's something that affects everyone and um yeah, I will happily go and talk about it. So yeah, I'm doing the um, uh, I'm doing doing that. I'm also consulting um, in the game space, and so um, it might be a, a thing that people are not aware of. Or I, I don't. You've, you've had Alex on the show. He he he. The previous guest in the in the PR world, and um, sometimes uh, the the PR marketing teams uh, will employ uh, journalists or, or experts to um, give feedback on a, a game. Could be a game concept, so it could be early in development, or it could be late in development and it's just about to come out and they want to know whether it's um, whether it's any good so that they can allocate marketing budget to it if it is good or let it die a quiet death if it's not very good <laughs> uh so i do i do some of that work as well um and yeah i don't think i've i don't think i've missed anything out i think you know one of the things that i'd i'd like to do at some point is um uh is maybe write a book or write uh do do something around getting into games journalism or, or i don't know if it's something you thought about no, <laughs> you're, far too, you're far, you're far, you're far too busy. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, yeah, I've been, I've been lucky for the last. I, I, when I, I, my most recent full time job was on, uh, was on stuff, and I joined that publication um, in 2015, as as print was really challenging, and those three or four years. I I've really worked very very hard and uh, yeah I've I've sort of recognised that and tried to um, tried to adjust my life accordingly. Um, but yes, I've um, yeah I've, I'm lucky where I'm, I'm in a position where I can sort of pick and choose and, and do stuff that I'm actually interested in, which is um, which is a nice place to be. But uh, you know if you're if you're listening and you need anyone that's uh, that's that's been in games for God how long is it now? So nearly twenty years. Then uh, then give me a call. And that's it for the latest episode of the Games Life, a podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and I'll be back soon with another guest to talk through their gaming life. Please let me know what you think in the comments on whichever podcast platform you're listening through or just rate Games Life for whatever number of stars you fancy. Until next time, toodle pip. (laughs) 